Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is February the 26th, 2021. As always, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege uh, to be able to join you. Uh, Goodness gracious, what a week it has been. Joe Biden continues on with his crazy executive orders. Um, And America is just kind of sitting there looking at the lunacy that passes for governance. Uh, It would certainly appear to me that the notion of a massive amnesty program for God knows how many illegal aliens, uh, Tucker Carlson did a really great program about it, and I want to focus on it this evening, because I want you to really understand what's at stake. Carlson said there might be as many as 30 million illegal aliens in the United States, and he's right. There might be. There might even be more. There may be aliens who aren't here yet who will come here and lie about their date of entry. Understand this. You know, Joe Biden said, well, you know, they have to have been here since January 1 of this year. If they're not here, they're locked out. That's a lot of baloney. Uh, We saw this with the Reagan nonsense, because there will be no interviews, folks. There were no interviews for DACA. There's no way that our government can interview 30 million people. We can't interview a million. We can't interview 500,000 the way we should. So 30 million, guess what happens? They get zipped through quicker than you know what goes through a goose. If you want to keep pace with the backlog, you don't have time to, to screw around with the applications. You add to this disaster the fact that there's a gentleman by the name of Alejandro Mayorkas, who is now the director of the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I have come to call DHS. It's called the Department of Homeland Surrender because George W. Bush, a globalist, did something horrific when he put DHS together. By the time DHS was created, it was well known to everybody that 9-11 was only possible, the terror attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system. But instead of focusing on immigration, which was supposed to happen under the Homeland Security Act, and I've written about this in a number of my articles for Front Page Magazine and elsewhere, George Bush split the Border Patrol off from Interior Enforcement, where I had called for unifying it when they testified before several congressional hearings on the Hill. And then he folded immigration in with other agencies that have nothing to do with immigration, like Customs and Agriculture and the TSA and uh, all kinds of other agencies, Secret Service, all part of DHS. Let's become one, come all, and we'll do everything we can to muddy the water so we can enforce the immigration laws. John Hostetler, a Republican chairman for the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I testified to John a bunch of times, said that what we got from the Bush administration when he created DHS was immigration incoherent, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or protect America and Americans. Thank you, George W. Bush. And that's why when people say to me, Cutler, you're a Democrat. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you a Republican? A Republican like what? George W.? Are you serious? By the way, 
this is really fascinating. Sheila Jackson Lee, and, and she called me for two hearings. She's the one who called me to testify at a hearing when they discovered that two of the dead terrorists, this is six months to the day after 9-11, if you folks don't remember it, you can check it out. Um, six months to the day after 9-11, it was discovered to everyone's consternation and shock and horror. You heard a shock and awe, this was shock and horror, that the Immigration Service had provided Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shay, two of the hijackers, they were at the controls of the two planes that slammed into the two towers of the Trade Center, and Mohammed Atta was the ringleader. They had been granted authorization to attend flight school six months after the attack. So the whole world knows they're dead, the whole world knows they're terrorists, and immigration gives them permission. Well, it wasn't really immigration. It was a private company hired by immigration to do the paperwork. You have a federal agency with tens of thousands of employees that they need to give contracts out. Why? Why? Well, the Republicans like to do it so they can say, we shrank the government, and everybody claps like trained seals. Yeah, you shrank the government, you got rid of government positions, and you replaced them with private positions so that your buddies who make campaign contributions possibly can get a contract. You know? This is what we're dealing with in our government. This isn't government of the people, by the people, for the people, certainly not the average people. It might be the government of the super wealthy, and we don't call that a republic. We call that an oligarchy. Okay? Money talks and BS walks. So if you have Zuckerberg's money or Gates' money, you get what you want. Sure, what do you want? So really, in reality, the government works, or the, our elected officials don't work for us. They work for the lobbyists because the lobbyists give them the money and they do what the lobbyists tell them to do or else. Until, of course, Donald Trump came along and said, I don't want your money. I don't even want my paycheck as president. I'll give it to charity. I'll give it back to the general fund, whatever. I don't need that. Well, that freaked them out. My God, this man doesn't want money. What's wrong with him? Joe Biden, I want you to stop and think about this because it blew my mind. But do you remember when Joe Biden, just before the, the Georgia election, when they had that runoff, well, not the runoff, but they, they had to do that other election in Georgia for the two Senate seats. Do you remember what Joe Biden said? Vote for the Democrats and we will send you $2,000. Really, it was 1400 because people had already gotten money and so forth. But, but the point of the matter was Joe Biden actually bribed the voters. How's that for bass backwards? Biden said, vote for the Democrats and we will give you money. I guess Joe Biden perhaps has been doing business like that as a politician for so long that he figured you you give people money, they do what you want. They give him money, he does what they want, like right now probably. Think about that. It's all about bribery and money. It's not a a swamp, by the way. In my article, the recent article, I said it's a cesspool. Swamps are natural. They're part of the environment. Critters live in the swamps. It's essential for the biome. Cesspools, on the other hand, are artificial, and there's nothing good to be found in a cesspool. And that's what D.C. has turned into, one stinking cesspool. So one of the big arguments that we have been hearing forever, that we need to give lawful status to the unknown millions who are here, and they keep throwing that number of 11 million around it, Tucker said, no, 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 it's probably closer to 30 million. He even cited a study that I've used in, in some of my articles. Yale did a study a couple of years ago. They said, well, there might be 22.1 million illegals here. And, but they won't go into the real number because that's still nothing. This is a small change, relatively speaking. 
Now, if you want to know what I'm talking about, let me tell you what I'm talking about. If we are corrupt enough to do this, the aliens who are here will be able to bring in all their minor children. So these aren't people who are already here. We're not going to be digging them out of the shadows. They're going to be coming in numbers you can't begin to imagine. And when you have a guy like Alejandro Mayorkas standing at the gate saying, approve every application, I guarantee you they will not be doing DNA testing. So if you don't do DNA testing, what is to prevent an alien who's here illegally getting lawful status, making out applications for 10 kids and claims they're all his, and the guy is actually father to nobody? He was simply given a couple thousand dollars per child to claim them as his own so they could get lawful status based on the fact that he got lawful status. If there's no DNA testing, these numbers could be through the roof. I I did a little bit of math in one of my recent articles for Front Page Magazine, and I said, okay, let's be very optimistic all the way around. And, and And I think these numbers are so low that they're wrong. But let's play the game. Let's be optimistic. Let's say there's 25 million illegals who come forward. And let's say on average they petition for four children plus their own spouses. But let's even forget about the spouses. Who knows? Maybe they don't want their wives. Maybe they don't want their husbands if the women are here. But they're going to want their kids. So if you have four children per alien on average, do the math, folks. Four times 25 million is what? You don't need to take your shoes off to do this math. It's 100 million. 100 million. Think about that. 100 million. 100 million immigrants who are not yet here will come here. So it's not that we're going to get them out of the shadows. We're going to get them across the border. They will have an environmental impact. They will have an economic impact. They will have an ecological impact. They will have an inflationary impact. They will have a huge impact on jobs and wages. This is the way you destroy a country. This is how you bring America to its knees. And meanwhile, waiting in the wings, you have Russia, China, and Iran salivating, salivating, hoping that America fails. And Biden's plan is guaranteed to make America fail. I would argue that what Biden is calling for can only be properly described as an invasion, as an invasion. Let me read to you a definition of invasion. This is the dictionary definition. Um, An incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity or an unwelcome intrusion into another's domain. Okay, an incursion by a large number of people. Do you think 100 million qualifies? What if it turns out to be 150 million? What would that do to the cost of housing? What would it do to homelessness? What would it do to jobs? And people always say to me, well, wait a minute, Mike. You want people to go back? We need them to do the work, and they're paying taxes. What taxes? If they're making $15 an hour on the books, and many of them aren't, they're going to get an earned tax credit when they start to claim they have all these kids, even if they aren't their own children. But let's say they don't do that. How much tax do you pay when you're making $30,000 a year? You don't pay taxes. Maybe they're buying taxes on sneakers and sweatshirts and work gloves. But imagine if they bring a couple of children in 
What is the cost to educate a child in a public school? 20000 a year, 25000 a year? They're not earning what it would cost to educate their child in the United States. But I hear this all the time. But when you realize, when they give you this argument, we're going to get them out of the We can't deport them all anyway. Well, but what about the fact that each one will bring in, on average, perhaps four or five more? They're not here yet. Why do you want them here? This is a package deal, folks. And what I'm saying isn't about race. And, of course, you're going to hear this is some kind of a racist. No, the immigration laws are completely and utterly blind about race, religion, or ethnicity. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I probably speak for the great majority of my former colleagues, we would never and could never have morally justified enforcing the immigration laws if we made those sorts of distinctions. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182 is crystal clear. The immigration laws are designed to keep out aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Ellis Island, for all that we hear about it by, by the globalists, you know, they, they, they wax poetic, oh, Ellis Island. It was a quarantine station. It was the biggest hospital complex in America at the time of its completion. In fact, Ellis Island, I think, was called Pearl Island, or it had some other name, and it was a small island. And when the subways were being constructed, all the debris that was tunneled out of the rock to create the subway tunnels was put on barges and floated over, and that's how they created Ellis Island, so that it was a big, big island, but it's artificial, and it was created to make sure that they didn't have catch and release back then. I kid you not. The only way to get from Ellis Island to New York's borderline, you know, the shoreline, was on a government-run ferry. The water is not water you want to swim in. There are lots of undercurrents and so forth. Dangerous, dangerous water to try to swim. So the only way that you could reasonably get from Ellis Island to the U.S. mainland was on a boat run by, by immigration and public health. So there was no catch and release. And if people came here with diseases, they sent them home. And in some cases, families were split up. And, and, and nobody marched and said, oh, my God, you're splitting up families. They didn't want to have pandemics the way we do now. Okay? But this bogus argument that they're here already goes out the window when you realize that it's 100 million more that would come, maybe 150. We have no idea how deep this, this, this bucket is with all these people in it. And once you start it, you cannot stop it. And I, I understand why the courts would rule that way. Because who gives you the arbitrary right to say, well, we let in 50 million, but we're not going to let in 50 million in one? You know, once you start these programs, they, they keep going. The Reagan amnesty was supposed to be for a million. We wound up with nearly 4 million. But the number even there that nobody talks about is how many children did those aliens bring in? How many spouses did those aliens bring in? And when they became citizens, they could bring in their brothers and sisters and their brothers and sisters' spouses and minor children. I wouldn't doubt that the Reagan amnesty of 86 maybe gave us 30 million. Basically, the Biden amnesty could more than double the U.S. population in the long run. And while he's doing that, he's also opening the floodgates for high-tech foreign workers, even as he's talking about providing new jobs for Americans that pay well. So we got rid of the pipeline. I went to get gas today. Gas has gone up like 40 cents a gallon. 
I'm retired. I'm not going too many places with COVID and everything else. If I buy a tank of gas once a month, it's a big deal. But imagine the people that are going to work every day. If you're paying 30 to 40 cents more per gallon of gas, that hurts. That hurts because we're no longer energy independent thanks to Biden's policies. And I noticed that Biden had an airstrike carried out against Iranian forces in Syria. One, at least one Iranian was killed. Realize that I am absolutely convinced, as are people who've testified as expert witnesses on the subject, that there are sleeper agents operating inside the United States from Iran right now. I hope it doesn't happen. But the potential exists that at some point Iran is going to say, okay, tit for tat. You blew up our facility. Now we'll take something out in your country. And on that day, everyone's going to be running around like chicken little or like rabbits without whatever. And they're going to say, what do we do? Where are they? Who knows? Because we don't have a clue as to who's inside the United States. He's allowing, Biden is allowing refugees to come into the United States from Mexico. Why? We already have a program in place, and it was a brilliant program by Bush, by Bush, by Trump, the Remain in Mexico program. So these folks come up to the border, they make out an application, and they're told, okay, you stay in Mexico, and we're ready for you, we'll call on you. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, my first wife died tragically of cancer decades ago. Her parents were victims of the Holocaust. Her mother was in a concentration camp. Her father's family was decimated by the Nazi bastards. By the way, uh, we just deported a 95-year-old Nazi. Isn't it incredible how those bastards live forever? 95 years old. This guy might wind up being the last Nazi to be deported for his war crimes during the Holocaust. But when people were liberated from the concentration camps, they didn't just give them a ticket and say, here, go to the United States. They went to resettlement camps, and they went to a resettlement camp in Italy And as I remember, they were there for a couple of years because the United States was checking each and every person who was looking to come to the United States as a refugee. I remember growing up in Brooklyn, many of my parents' friends were refugees. And I remember uh, one of my mother's friends showing me the tattoo on her arm that was put on her arm by the Nazi scum because she was in a concentration camp. And it startled me. I remember I was a young boy, and I I was very upset by it. I remember having nightmares about it. But much as America was trying to help them, they said, no, you're going to stay in Italy so we can make certain that we vet you carefully. And even then, a number of Nazis, like this piece of work that we deported, managed to make their way to the United States to evade justice. Now it's not just people seeking to evade justice, it's people seeking to come here to commit crimes and potentially acts of terror. The 9-11 Commission, for example, warned that people claiming asylum might be involved with terrorism. And we saw that with the Tsarnaev brothers, the two guys that blew up the Boston Marathon, if you remember. Their family was from Russia. They said, we can't go back to Russia. We gave them political asylum. And as soon as they got asylum, they hopped on airplanes and went back to Russia. So Bob Goodlatte, who was at the time the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said, oh, we're going to make it a separate crime. If you claim asylum and you go back to your country, we're going to prosecute you. Did we need that law in the books? Absolutely not. Why? Well, isn't it self-evident that if you say, I can't go back to Russia, please give me asylum, and we give you asylum, and you go back to Russia? You lied. Well, lying is already a federal crime. Lying is a federal crime. 
We didn't need another law about lying. What we needed are more agents, but of course that's what they never do. So it's a subterfuge. Oh, look, they just passed a new law. How wonderful. We don't need the law. The law that says false statements on documents is a felony. That's adequate. Hire the agents so we can find the liars and, and prosecute them and then deport them after they do jail time. But this is the game that's been played on us by both political parties, the Republicrats, because they want the campaign contributions from the lobbyists. And I started talking about Sheila Jackson Lee, what was so incredible. Back then, Sheila Jackson Lee in 2005 complained bitterly that Congress had given George W. Bush enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents and 2,000 more Border Patrol agents, and Bush cut the 800 ICE agents down to 143, and he cut 2,000 Border Patrol agents down to 210. They gave him enough money for 8,000 beds for detention purposes. He cut that to 1,920, I believe. And at that hearing, Sheila Jackson Lee said, what is wrong with this president? We need these agents to be able to arrest people, and we need the beds to be able to hold on to them. That was Sheila Jackson Lee. I hope the cancel culture folks don't come after her because she actually supported effective immigration law enforcement after 9-11. We've lost our minds, folks. We've lost our minds. And so you now have... President Joe Biden issuing the executive orders. Now, executive orders make sense. A president through executive order can say, look, I want you to prioritize criminal over non-criminal aliens. So you issue an executive order. But you don't issue an order to say you will not arrest people who don't have criminal histories. Because basically he wrote, rewrote the immigration statutes. If you come to America by running the border, you are subject to deportation wherever we find you. Simple as that. It's what's known as a continuing offense. If you rob a bank, let's say in Kansas, and run to New York, we can't put you on trial in New York for a bank robbery in Kansas. We have to extradite you back to Kansas because that's where the crime occurred. But when aliens, let's say, run the border in Texas or up on the Canadian border, let's say through Washington State, or they stow away on a ship in North, in North Carolina and we find them in New York, we can prosecute them wherever they're found because it's called the continuing offense. Biden is saying, no, you won't arrest them at all, period. Well, I'm not claiming to be a constitutional scholar, but I have helped to write some of the statutes, just like the aggravated felon reentry law that makes reentry by criminal aliens who get deported a 20-year maximum crime. So I'm familiar with how that works, and it would really seem that these executive orders are illegal countermanding standing law. That's not what's supposed to happen. It's one thing to say you should be prioritizing criminal over none. But to turn around and say you will not, that's not what the law says. And so what's interesting is that if you look at Title Four, I'm sorry, Article Four, Section Four of the US Constitution, I have an interesting proposition for you. I believe that what the president has done is unconstitutional. This idea about taking down border security, bringing in all these folks applying for asylum, even though we're not vetting them, we can't, there's too many of them. So it's violating 
laws. It's violating the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. But he's also made it clear that he's pushing for comprehensive immigration reform so that all of them will be able to bring their families in. And we talked about this being an invasion. Well, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says the following. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. This is, in my judgment, an orchestrated invasion. By the way, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1325, deems it a crime to aid or abet, or abet, encourage or induce aliens to enter the United States illegally or to remain illegally thereafter is a felony. You're not allowed to aid, abet, induce, encourage, harbor, or shield illegal aliens. Is not the president encouraging and inducing aliens to come into the country? That's why you see the caravans. So he's aiding, abetting, inducing, and encouraging Sanctuary cities are harboring and shielding. And at the end of the day, it will create an invasion. And the Constitution says, Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. And on the application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So we saw what happened at the Capitol. They're using the term insurrection. I'm not claiming to be a lawyer, but it didn't really seem to be the kind of insurrection that they described. It was horrific. The people that did it need to be punished. Certainly no justification. I'm a big believer in the First Amendment. I practice it wherever I go. I'm practicing it right now as I sit here talking to you. But it talks about peaceable assemblage, the right to peaceably assemble smashing through the windows and creating havoc in the Capitol was not peaceable. Clearly, it was a violation of law. People did die, although the death of one police officer was being challenged, which is very interesting. It's also interesting that the police officer who shot that woman has yet to be identified. You have to admit that when George Floyd was killed, everybody knew who the police officer was. I I think we should know who the cop was that shot the woman. And I was in law enforcement. I carried a weapon, uh, gosh, since 1975. I'm a strong proponent of the Second Amendment, but you're responsible for your actions. The American people have the right to know who discharged a firearm that resulted in the death of an unarmed woman. Whether she did something right or wrong isn't the issue. Every shooting is supposed to be investigated. And, in fact, I remember when we went for firearms training, we had to qualify every 90 days. We had some of the best firearms training in the world when I was an agent. And we did nighttime fire drills, fire meaning shooting drills, not fire drill like fire in the building. Um, so we did all kinds of stuff, tactical training. But it was pointed out to us that if you're in a shootout, every time you pull the trigger is a separate incident. You could exchange gunfire with a bad guy, and and, and fire 20 rounds, and everything is perfect. Textbook. And then somehow you fire off round number 21, and there was no justification, and you could be found guilty of a felony. Every trigger pull is a separate incident by itself. That's how it gets dissected. 
Each trigger pull is a separate incident unto itself. We need accountability in law enforcement. And by the way, just as an aside, for all the talk about police reform, I want you to think about something. How many jurisdictions use law enforcement as a way of gaining funds? I'm serious. We all know about the dreaded you know, speed traps that they put up in some small towns so that they can get money, you know. They'll have a sign that says, you know, speed limit 30, and then you go 10 feet, speed limit, you know, 15 miles an hour, and there's a cop sitting there with a radar gun, and you go by there two miles over the limit because you can't physically stop fast enough or slow down fast enough, and you get a ticket. We see it all the time in small towns. It's not right. It's not the way to do business. But God bless America. Here we are. So what we really need to look at is what are the marching orders that various jurisdictions give to their law enforcement personnel. Now, what do I mean by that? As an immigration agent, I was evaluated every year, and my evaluation had critical elements and non-critical. Certain things were critical, certain things weren't critical. Uh, you had to have X number of case closings or X number of investigations. There were statistical requirements and the way you did things. and It, it, it would really go down into minutia. So, so the point of the matter is, if we evaluate police officers by the number of arrests that they make, and if, like any other employee in any other work situation, you have a, a cop who says, I want to be the best cop there is, and they look at the evaluation and they say, well, they expect you to make X number of arrests, then you're pressuring that police officer potentially to escalate things to the point where putting handcuffs on the person becomes justifiable. Now, I'm not saying this happens everywhere, but I'm sure it happens in some situations. Is that really what you want to see happen? Should police officers be pressured to make arrests when there are other ways of resolving problems? So now we see this lunacy in some towns. We're not going to have cops stopping cars. Really? Well, one of the most dangerous things you can do in law enforcement is to do a car stop. The two most dangerous things statistically, as I remember them, were car stops and domestic disputes. In domestic disputes, husband is beating up wife, wife is beating up husband, the neighbors hear screaming and a window gets broken and they call the cops and the cop walks into the middle of this battleground and the two, the husband and wife, suddenly unite against the cop. It happens. It happens. You pull the car over, you don't know if the guy that just blew the red light wasn't paying attention or if he's fleeing from a bank robbery where he just shot a bank guard. You don't know. When you do a random car stop, the guy is speeding, the guy blew a red light, you're dropping your hook into a very deep ocean. I can tell you of one story uh, because it just kind of illustrates the point. I was working very closely with police officers in the 71st police precinct in New York City or Brooklyn. That was in the days when we were relatively normal before the world went berserk. And this was back in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. And the anti-crime cops, and if you remember, genius Mayor de Blasio got rid of the anti-crime unit. These are plainclothes cops that drive unmarked cars, and they're looking to see where there are assaults and robberies, rapes, violent crime. Because, you know, people don't see the the marked car. You know, the marked car stands out. Unmarked cars, 
It's like they come out of nowhere. Bango. There's a guy beating some guy up. They jump out of the car. They make the arrest. I did a lot of work with them. Went after a lot of drug locations. Um, locked up lots of bad guys. Took lots of guns off the street. Very effective police tactic. It was fun working with them. But more importantly, it was gratifying because we were getting some very bad people off the street. And in that neighborhood, many of these people were here illegally. So not only were we getting bad guys off the street, but I would lodge a detainer because back then they honored the detainer. So if a guy went to jail for three years for cracking some guy's head open, when he got out of jail, we would deport the guy. And that was why I was happy to work with Al D'Amato. So if they came back, they could be looking at up to 20 years in jail for reentry. You've committed a violent crime. We deport you. We don't want you back here. We have that right. You go into a bar and you get drunk and you start smashing things. The bouncer deposits you at the sidewalk. And if you come back, the cops can arrest you for trespassing because the owner of the bar has the right to say, this guy is, is dangerous. He's crazy. He gets drunk. He becomes violent. I don't want him in my establishment. The country has the same rights, folks. That's what we're really talking about, okay? Well, in this particular case, the sergeant who ran the anti-crime unit told the cops, I expect you to write a couple of tickets for moving violations every month. So if ever you write a moving violation, it doesn't become the kind of thing where it was the first time in a year you did it, and then if it turns into a criminal case, we don't want the defense attorney saying the cops somehow singled this guy out for unusual treatment. He said, so the easiest thing to do during the course of the average month, write a couple of moving violations. You see a guy blow a red light. You see a guy blow a stop sign, uh, speeding through a school zone. Give him a ticket. So this guy blows a red light. Cops pull him over. And he jumps out of the car. And he takes a swing at the police officer, the driver. Now, it's kind of funny because if you knew the cop, and I, and I did, he was this, this, this real Italian-American kid. I'm positive that this guy eats more pasta in one sitting than I would probably eat in a month. But this guy was all muscle. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but on steroids. I kid you not. You know, in those days, the guy was, I don't know, 50-inch shoulders, 25-inch neck. He was a mountain with feet. And he took a swing at the cop, and the cop returned the favor, knocked the guy on his face, and a gun popped out of his waistband, a Browning high-power 9mm. And the guy that got hit by the cop uh, had dreadlocks down to the middle of his back, spoke with a heavy West Indian accent. They presumed he was a Jamaican. He and his buddy both claimed to have been born down south in Chicago, down south. I guess they didn't study geography. So I went to interview them, and New York City cops ran the fingerprint at Central Booking, and the prince came back, no record. Don't know why, but that's what happened. Well, I ran the fingerprints through DEA. Believe it or not, immigration back then, if you ran fingerprints, we used to mail in the fingerprint card. If you want to talk about an agency that refused to take itself seriously, we would arrest somebody and then mail the fingerprints to Washington, to the FBI. And then three or four weeks later, we might get back a thing saying, where is this guy? He killed four people and raped two young girls. Well, we deported him last week. Every other agency, including small police departments, are doing it electronically, so they knew in minutes who they had. But the old, I used to call it the imitation and neutralization service, the agency that did not want to take what it did seriously, was happy to mail in fingerprint cards. There was one case involving an individual by the name of Resendez Ramirez, the so-called railway killer, was arrested numerous times by the Border Patrol. They mailed in the fingerprint cards. 
they sent them back to Mexico, and then their fingerprints came back that the guy was involved with the murder. And every time they arrested him and the card came back with different names, he had committed more murders. I don't even know how many murders this guy finally committed, but I think it was well over a dozen. Because we weren't getting the answers in real time, and I raised the issue at my first hearing back in 1997, and that was what started to open up the gate so that immigration would start to use electronic fingerprinting. I mean, this is madness. This is sheer madness. We got into this mess because of decades of neglect and a lackadaisical attitude about how important our borders and our immigration laws are. Well, long story short, with the guys that had the fist fight with the cops, I grabbed the thing, I, I took fingerprints, went up to DEA because they had the facilities to do it, and they were happy to work with me. I developed a great liaison with them, not realizing that years later I'd be assigned to DEA intelligence altogether. And I went home. About 10 o'clock at night, I went home, and then I get a call in the middle of the night, FBI headquarters, where are these two guys? Why? Huh. They're about to be put on the 10 most wanted list. They've pulled off a bunch of violent bank robberies, and I forgot how many people they shot, something like 20 people. They killed a whole bunch of people. Where are they? They were frantic. So the FBI and the New York City Police Department, the Joint FBI Bank Robbery Task Force, showed up at Central Booking, took custody of these guys, uh, if I remember correctly, they were sentenced to life without parole. They're still sitting in a cage somewhere if they're still breathing. But the point is, it was all from a car stop. You don't know who you're stopping when you pull a car over. And you have these geniuses saying, oh, when cars are pulled over, we don't need people with guns pulling them over. That might scare the driver. The lunatics, folks, are running the asylum. I think it's in Ithaca, New York, the mayor was saying, Oh, we don't need police officers stopping cars. We should have a, a public safety unit, and they don't have guns. I wonder how long it's going to be before, God forbid, somebody gets killed. Uh, it's a proposal. I hope they don't go through with it because this is crazy stuff. These are decisions that are being made by people who know less than nothing about law enforcement, and they're endangering everybody. And so when I look at the Constitution, that the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and also against domestic violence. And we have gang members being turned loose on the street who could be deported. It would certainly appear to me that what we're doing is unconstitutional. Remember what went on when, when President Trump made a phone call and they've had an impeachment. Where in the world are the Republicans? I'll tell you where they are. They're globalists. They're globalists. It was, I remind you, Reagan who gave us the first amnesty and the visa waiver program and the visa lottery. Thank you, Mr. Reagan. We, we've got to stop this nonsense about Democrat versus Republican. It seems as though the government of the United States doesn't give a rat's tail about the average American. Forget Lincoln's poetic notion of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The only people that matter are the people that write the goddamn checks because they're the ones that bribe the government, bribe our elected officials. How are these decisions acting in the best interest of Americans? Biden says, I'm going to help you get jobs. And then he, en he ends the pipeline... And, and, you know, Fox News went nuts 
and, and they're right, you know, cost us a bunch of jobs, but that's nothing. If we bring in 100 million young immigrants, they will ultimately become part of the labor pool. Labor pool, 100 million. So you're worried about a couple thousand jobs? A job is going to become a novelty in America if this happens. And remember that most people that come to, to America from other countries send money back to their home country. By the way, I think America is going to attract if we do this. What Ph.D. candidate is going to say, gee, I can't wait to go to America because there's anarchy in the street. I can't wait to go to America because housing has gotten so expensive that half of the American population live in tents on the sidewalk like Calcutta. You're not going to attract the world's best and brightest. You're going to attract the world's most desperate, the world's most needy, and fugitives and criminals and terrorists. America could literally turn on a dime and take us in a direction that nobody would want to go if they were rational. And all this to do what? Have control over the government of a country that isn't worth anything anymore? I'm not much of a Bible student, but we all know about the wisdom of King Solomon. And we all know that story about the two women who both claimed to be a baby's mother. There was no DNA testing back then, so it was about devising a strategy. And King Solomon said, I know what I'm going to do. He offered to cut the baby in half because he knew that a real mother would never permit her baby to be hurt. And sure enough, one woman immediately said, get out that knife and give me my half of the kid. And the other woman started to cry and said, no, 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 listen. That or the other woman should have my child and something harmful should happen to him. Well, we immediately knew who the real mother was, didn't we? You think Joe Biden really cares about Americans? Bringing in people not knowing if there's terrorists among them? bringing in more people than the number of new jobs we could ever possibly create, even as artificial intelligence and automation continues to displace ever greater numbers of Americans? No. In my, wor- my view, Joe Biden is like that mother that told King Solomon, cut that baby in half and I'll take my chunk home in a brown paper bag. That's who I believe Joe Biden and the rest of the globalists are. They don't care about America. They don't care about Americans. All they care about is themselves. They are grammatically challenged. They conjugate verbs in the first person singular and the three most important people they know, me, myself, and I. They couldn't care less about what happens to this great nation or to the citizens of our great nation. Well, they know what's going to happen. More crime, more violence, more death, more destruction, more poverty, more homelessness, more broken families. But that's okay, because they'll have power. And after all, what's better than power? I never thought that I would see a bigger bunch of corrupt bums running our government than we have today. And I don't agree with everything Donald Trump did. I certainly was shocked at some of his inability to communicate effectively. I wish that he had asked Joe Biden whether or not he had read the 9-11 Commission report rather than ask Joe if he could say law enforcement. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. But Trump's policies made sense. 
Trump's policies help to increase wages, help to decrease unemployment, especially among, among America's minorities. But the brainwash had been so pervasive and so constant, you know, the big lie that we heard from Goebbels in the Third Reich, the steady drumbeat, Trump is evil, orange man bad, right? That Americans became incapable of thinking for themselves and saying, yeah, I don't like the guy's manners. I don't like his personality. But boy, he's right about sovereignty. Boy, he's right about having control so that we don't have criminals and drugs flowing into our country. But the American people were sold a bill of goods by a bunch of highly skilled liars and propagandists backed up by a corrupt news media. It's shocking. The Hunter Biden story didn't get out on most news media. That was willful. Journalists are supposed to report the news. Good, bad, ugly, it is what it is. If it's going to snow tomorrow, you report that it's going to snow tomorrow. If it upsets people, this is the news. Don't kill the messenger, right? Didn't they say that? Don't kill the messenger? The messenger can't be trusted is what I say today. Why is nobody willing to make the point that Joe Biden's amnesty would likely involve 30 million to begin with and well over 100 million down the road when they are able to bring their children in, which would happen in short order according to the legislation proposed by Mr. Biden. And that's why we as Americans need to get a hold of our elected representatives, and I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, and sit them down and say, now listen, what future do you see for our country if suddenly our population goes from 330 million to 450 million? How would we deal with it? Do you want to talk about the environment? More cars on the road, burning more gas, which will cost more because supply and demand. And as you're sitting in traffic going nowhere, the fumes will collect. More people need more food, more sewage, more electricity, more water. There are communities that have droughts almost every year. How will they cope with a massive influx of more people that need that water and need that food and need that electricity and actually go to the bathroom and flush the toilets, and now we've got to dispose of the sewerage and need transportation and need health care. We don't have enough vaccinations to go around. So obviously the thing you do when you don't have enough vaccine is bring in 100 million more people. Does that make sense to anybody? Of course it doesn't. The news won't report on it. No one's stopping to think about it. You need to call your elected representatives and say, look, Forget about anything else. First of all, if you, if you vote for this, I'm not voting for you, and neither will my neighbors. You need to go in mass and, and have those conversations or call the office or arrange a meeting. And any congressman or, or, or politician who won't attend the town hall meeting needs to be voted out of office. They're insubordinate. It's very simple. I have people say to me, oh, I have a congressman, but he'll never agree to a town hall meeting. Vote him out of office. Well, my boss got a hold of us and said that we're having an all-hands meeting. And you better be there at 0800. You were there at 0800. It wasn't optional. When people tell their politician, we want to meet with you, they should see that not as a request, but as an order. You must meet with them. You want to be an elected representative? How the hell can you represent people if you don't know what they want? When you go to a restaurant, the waiter or waitress comes over to you, if you can still go to a restaurant, God knows, 
And they didn't hold the menu to their head like the mighty Karnak, Johnny Carson, and say, ah, you wanted ham on rye. Isn't that it? No. You told the guy or the gal, this is what I want to eat, this is what I want to prepare, and if you didn't like it, you walked out, right? Politicians must take our orders also and must see those orders as orders. If you're supposed to be representing the people in your district, how do you represent them if you're not meeting with them? We need to make that point. Now, what I do see that is perhaps encouraging, and it's kind of interesting, is that there was an article, um, and and this was uh, Daniel Horowitz wrote a piece. It was in The Blaze. Oklahoma House votes to enable legislature to block Biden's executive orders. Because what they're doing is looking at these orders and saying, are they constitutional or not? I hope more states follow suit. And speaking of suits, I hope there's lawsuits. The president of the United States does not have the authority to issue an executive order that results in the invasion of the United States. It's just that simple. And we've already seen this onslaught of people flowing across the borders. The caravans are forming up. And all these people, when they get here, will be granted lawful status because Joe Biden told the Congress this is what we're going to do. Whatever happened to the American people having a voice in their own darn government? And when people say to me, Mike, aren't you concerned that people are going to accuse you of being a bigot or a xenophobe? You're going to accuse me of anything you want to accuse me. This is like the game of chicken when we were kids. You mean you're not willing to jump off the front porch because they called you a chicken? How many kids are broken bones because somebody told them they were a chicken if they didn't jump off something or do something equally stupid? Crazy. We need to grow a spine, and we just need to be able to sit down with one another and have conversations, not fights, not arguments, not accusations. Don't wag your finger at someone and tell them they're idiots. They've been duped. They've been brainwashed. How many people fell victim to Madoff and his schemes? The American people have been conned into believing that it's perfectly acceptable to fling open the doors to our country and flood America with foreign workers who will displace American workers, that it's okay for gangbangers to come to America and and kill and assault and rape children in schools. What are we doing? What are we doing? We have an obligation to our children, to this nation, to, to to each other. We are our brothers and sisters keepers to stand up and say, this can't happen. This can't happen. Back in 2006, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times about comprehensive immigration reform. And if you're familiar with my program, you know I've always been a big fan of the space program. I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. I went down and saw the last moon launch. I've had the privilege of meeting astronauts, and some of whom went to the moon. I even met one of our current astronauts who recently went to the space station. He was in attendance at one of the seminars where I spoke. What a great honor. But I compared the countdowns for the launch of Space Shuttle Challenger with the hearings where myself and other experts have testified about immigration reform legislation back in 2006 and the Bush amnesty, the guest worker program, all this craziness. And I said the reason for the countdown was for the experts to weigh in as to whether or not they should go forward with the launch. The reason for the hearings is for the experts to weigh in as to whether they should go forward with legislation. And I said, think back to when 
NASA launched Challenger that cold January morning in 1986 against the advice of some of their brightest engineers, and 73 seconds after liftoff, we had a catastrophe. I said, but now it's not seven valiant lives hanging in the balance of the astronauts, but 300 million American lives. But I recommended giving comprehensive immigration reform a new and more descriptive and honest name. I said, we ought to be calling it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. The idea of giving people lawful status, identity documents, without the ability to interview them, investigate them, is insane. It's an act of suicide. Recently, I wrote an article where I said we ought to be calling comprehensive immigration reform the Overwhelm America Act. And when you really look at it, comprehensive immigration reform would actually encourage, induce, um, and, and, and facilitate the invasion of the United States. Is this in the best interest of America or Americans? That's the question that every politician should be asked whenever they propose policy or law changes. That ought to be the first question. Is this good news for the people who live in your city? Is this good news if it's on the federal level for America and Americans? When I hear this garbage, for America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. I I keep making the point, America doesn't just consist of rivers and lakes and highways and museums and and shopping malls. America, folks, mostly is made up of its people. Black, white, green, purple, I don't care. Christian, Muslim, Jew, atheist, I don't care. If you're an American citizen, we're in this together. We are brothers and sisters in this together. We need to have each other's back. Not because, oh, he's a Republican, he's a Democrat, she's... No. Americans. We've never been so divided over politics as we are today. And the wacky part is the politicians, for the most part, are colluding with one another, kind of like the wrestlers we watched when we were kids. You know, I used to watch Antonina Rocca and Haystacks, Calhoun and Buddy Rogers, and you thought they killed each other. And they spritzed ketchup on each other, and you thought, oh my God, he just smashed that guy's head into the turnbuckle. He's probably going to die. It was all of that. They went out for dinner afterwards. When the gang of eight, or the eight gangsters, as I call them, including Lindsey, oh, my goodness, having a Biden moment. Well, yeah, John McCain and Chuck Schumer and and, and the whole bunch on both sides of the aisle. But what happened, Lindsey Graham, by the way, in fact, they they called it Gramnesty when they went down to the Carolinas because he was so in favor of amnesty. When they had that meeting, four and four, the first thing they did was to get their staffers to leave the room. Well, why do you think they threw their staffers out? Because they didn't want anybody to witness the chicanery that was going on. And in fact, while the impeachment proceedings were ongoing with Donald Trump, you had bills being passed through the House and Senate on immigration that would have been devastating, except Trump wouldn't go along with it, and Biden is now. How does this help Americans? When you bring in foreign workers, how does that help Americans? When you allow intellectual property to flow around the world, it winds up ultimately in in companies that compete with American companies, but most of them are global companies anyway. But more significantly, you wind up with China committing so much espionage that most of what they build 
has a very strong resemblance to things that we make right here in the good old United States of America. Sovereignty is important. The survival of America hangs in the balance. The future of our children and the future of our grandchildren are all hanging in the balance. I am telling you that if you sit down with your elected representatives and explain to them, because I'm sure half of them don't even know this, they're getting advice from those kids that work for them, those staffers, and those staffers routinely rotate between the lobbying outfits in Congress. In fact, I've often joked that if you want free energy, clean energy, just hook generators onto the revolving doors in Washington, and you'll have all the energy you need. It took me 90 seconds to convince convince Jim Sensenbrenner when he chaired the House Judiciary Committee to do a 180-degree turnabout on George W. Bush's guest worker amnesty program. When I told him what it looked like to me, it became a very different story. Please sit down. Read my articles at Front Page Magazine. My most recent article just got posted. Biden cripples immigration law enforcement when executive orders handcuff agents and set law violators free. Please read that article. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is forward that article to everybody. Post it on Facebook. Send it out on emails and tweets. Whatever it is you do. Send people links to this radio program. If the mainstream media and Facebook and Twitter are going to censor us, then we need to find a way around it. You know, when we drive somewhere, um, we often rely, rely on GPS, but I still listen to the traffic reports anyway. I'm sure many of you do. Well, why do you do that? Because you find that if there was an accident on a particular highway, you figure out a workaround. How do I get around that wreck on the highway because the road is closed? You're not going to sit there for two hours. So you find a different way to get where you're going so that you're on time. That's why traffic reports and weather reports are so popular on the radio. Well, let's find alternatives to Twitter and Facebook, my program, other programs, and let's communicate with each other. I would love to see America celebrate Independence Day and Memorial Day by declaring those days days of national debate and discourse. The enemies of America want to shut down the First Amendment. We can't allow that to happen. I hope you find this program to be helpful. I hope that I'm providing you with information and thoughts that you're not getting anywhere else. And if so, please let as many people as possible know about my program, know about my articles, and and let them know about my website, michaelcutler.net. But please get involved, folks. This is the work that every American not only can do but must do because so much is hanging in the balance. Just never forget that democracy is not a spectator sport. Thank you for joining me this evening. I hope you all have a great weekend. hope you stay well and stay safe. And I look forward to seeing you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody.